can uh, let them come in late, like Tyler usually does. Um, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful once again for women, and we're grateful for the opportunity to try to think clearly about it so we can go into those circumstances with our wits about us. In your son's name, we're grateful. Amen. Okay, we're actually talking tonight, finally, after all this preparatory, preparatory work on our characters, <coughs> where we, uh, our first three talks, we're trying to lay out a way of being, a way of thinking about being, and a direction for that being that would play you in good, um, not play you in good, serve you in good stead in the uh, um, in the eventual skirmishes that you will encounter with the fairer sex. Um, it'd be a drag to give dating, courting, whatever you want to call it, uh, advice to people who thought in a post-enlightenment way about things that were they were going to try to do, that we're going to try to make a Christian marriage. Uh, when they don't have the underlying uh, character traits. So that's why we did it. Uh, but eventually going to have to get around and talk about the women themselves. This is that beginning of that time. Tomorrow we will cover um, a little bit more on the practical side of uh, how to talk to them. Um, I mentioned to you before that Jake Souter had named this seminar the Mojo Oracles eight years ago, nine years ago. And uh, why mojo? I mean, because everybody knows what mojo is. Uh, Jim, Jim Morrison sang, I've got my mojo working. A lot of blues songs, a lot of... Uh, it has to do with whether or not you've got that magic, that special <clears throat> understanding of the, this force that is this present thing between women and us. And since there wasn't a Bible term equivalent, the voodoo term will have to do. And it gave people... My father asked me tonight at dinner whether or not... Why did I name it these things? It's like the Tao of Eve for the girls and the Mojo Oracles. I said, well, it gets people's attention. I mean, they, they, they separate it out from some Christian get-together where you <coughs> study courtship. You know, you just want to be cut off at the knees when somebody starts talking in those terms. Or... or Hopefully, the Mojo Oracles is something that is a bit more Mojo than words like courtship or relationships. Um, when we deal with it, the idea is to try to explain, just like we did with the nature of self, what is the thing we're dealing with? We know it's women, those kind of soft boys. We, we, we know what they are. But this whole thing of why we're about this, what gets turns our brains to scrambled egg and and um, and we act like fools or we we uh, are massively depressed or hilariously elated, um, uh, it'd be good to know what's going on in your head and what you're actually for the good of it manipulating and for the bad of it resisting. You know because there are some aspects of the mojo that are temptations to evil. Some aspects of the mojo are rewards for holiness, but they're all going to operate on the mojo. They're all going to operate on 
this desire and what is the nature of this desire. Now we know that women are attractive and they spend a lot of time becoming that way. From the very earliest centuries, uh, women put makeup on, wore funny shoes and dressed in provocative more or less outfits. Um, what we're trying to do is eliminate what other avenues our claims may, um, or someone may claim about this relationship, that women are just attractive, so we're attracted to them. That, that's not saying anything, really. But someone who's an evolutionist would say, well, it's just the hormones, it's just, uh, um, uh, it's just, um, we were, we evolved to want them because we wanted to preserve the species, you know, we wanted to impregnate them, and so these these elements, these, be like being in rut, like uh, the deer out there or the monkeys with, I don't know if you've ever seen monkeys in rut, it's a pretty disgusting display, their privates balloon out and all purple and, 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 they, and they don't seem to really be enjoying themselves, it's just a, a matter of uh, procreation. Um, but we want, when, we, when we talk about the mojo, we're talking about not just attractiveness and pres preservation of the species, be it from a Christian worldview. There are many, or any number, or quite a few Christian people who teach all the way back to St. Augustine that, and this is one of the reasons I reject him, root and branch, is that he believed that any sex was sin, including married sex. Okay? But married sex had to be engaged in because the species had to be preserved. And so God understood that this venial sin of knocking boots with the old lady had to be done. But you better not ever do it for the pleasure. That was Augustine's mentality. You will join me, I hope, in rejection of the man. And no longer call him Saint Augustine. But the man was a loon in that area, at least. Um, and I've met, I, I met a couple that was engaged, and then the girl found out that the guy, the guy didn't believe that you should have sexual relations unless it was for a baby. And that changed her mind pretty quick about the whole shoot and match. Thankfully, she didn't marry him. But that's not a sufficient reason, because when you study the mojo, you begin to realize I've got a lot of perversions out there. I mean, there's obvious things like homosexuality, there's, uh, I mean, but you get all sorts of perversions, especially on the man's side of the line. Males have far more perversions than women do. And they're all sexual perversions, and you want to have a view of the mojo that explains why they do that too. Because they're doing that as a perversion of the real desire. So you, you want a view that, that isn't just, well, the species must be preserved. Well, that wouldn't explain homosexuality, now would it? Because that's a pretty much agreed upon function of male homosexuals is they do not produce children. Now, uh, uh, the pleasure aspect, people who think it's just this uh, hormonal desire for getting off, that, but we've got all these other avenues of getting off that aren't women, and... And, and sometimes bizarre um, sort of qualities, you want something that explains what's going on. Now, I've given a couple of suggestions that come up in, 
in Christian circles. One would be romance, the other would be love, not as distinct from romance. Now, with romance, you have to realize this is a singularly feminine idea. Now, men can understand and enjoy romances as well. But the word romance comes from the portion of Europe that was the Romance or the Roman region, uh, uh, close southern Europe next to Italy, hence Romance, like a Romance language. Italian is a Romance language. Okay, they're, they're more rooted in Italian and more rooted in, in, in Latin. Um, and so the literature that came up out of the ten hundreds in southern France, uh, Provençal and, and uh, those regions near Italy, uh, had a certain quality. It was a courtly love poetry that was devoted to um, uh, the first courtly love poetry, the Ten Hundreds, and as novels developed to get to the early modern period, it was stories of complete, utter misunderstanding, loss, death, you know, everything that was trying to put the couple together was torn apart. Romeo and Juliet is a romance. Um, and you look at the actual story, you go, those people are sick. You know, you, you get, um, but the idea of the romance is you set up the possibility of an attachment and then you destroy it. Sometimes never to put it back together again, but you destroy it. You think that the guy you loved is dead at sea, or you, or you think that he loves someone else. Those were all uh, romantic ideas, and they're largely feminine. Uh, women have the desire of increasing what the real mojo is about in themselves, the real set of draws that are there, by putting them in a state of denial to create a greater, a greater uh, resolution. So it's not the thing itself, it's a denial of the thing. It is not the good. Matter of fact, marriage should destroy romance. Because marriage should be happy, one. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the vain days of your life. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Don't misunderstand her or think she's dead at the store. Or, you know, you, some people, um, there was a book years ago written by Chuck Swindoll because Christian marriages go through difficulties as well as non-Christian marriages. It was called Strike the Original Match, which is an awful title. It's kind of a title that sells to women. Um, and what it was trying to do is have people create the romantic in their life again. But the romantic generally is an idea that is moved by uh, the perception of losing the relationship. If they imagine not having, they, they, they can, now they, you could do romantic things like give her flowers, what we call romantic. Um, but the idea that undergirds it is the idea of loss and misunderstanding. Uh, I asked years ago, this is very early in the house history, a bunch of girls sitting around the li living room, and I said, what is the most romantic storyline you could think of? Not that you read, but you could just make up. What would be the most romantic thing you could think of? Now, fasten your seatbelts, gentlemen. The most romantic idea they could think of, these were attractive young women, desired by many. You're married. This is a romantic idea. You're married. You've been to the doctor. 
you just found out from the doctor that you're pregnant with your first child. And you get home, thrilled, can't wait to tell the husband, but before you can tell him, he's killed in a car accident. And then nine months later, when the baby is born, he looks like his father. <laughs> Look at him like, he's sick, <laughs> sick, <laughs> That was the romantic thing. You know that? And they were just almost weeping, telling the story. Because for them, they feel it greatest when it's in denial, when it's in loss. Christianity, you get into marriage, actually unless the Lord has other plans for your fate that would take away these, um, these goods, you die early for whatever reason. You don't want that, though. And really, none of the women who enjoy thinking about romance actually want the romantic thing to happen. They just want to be thinking about that. Well, we're, we're hopefully the governing thinking agent in our relationships, and we don't want to be having our care for our wives, our care for the women we love, be based on us always imagining them dead in the ditch. Because we want to be happy, in a sense, we want to have good on good created, not a negative laid up against the potential good so you feel the feeling more. That's what they do. They lay up the thought of loss up against the good so they'll feel the good more. <clears throat> Again, romance fails to, uh, you might say, explain the history of marriage because romance as an idea in marriage is not, was not normative through most of history. People can be married without romance. People can be married well without romance. It would still happen in antiquity, but they didn't, they didn't marry by that. They did not find by that. So it, does, it doesn't explain the perversions, and it doesn't explain all good marriages. Some suggest... Um, now, in all of these, in the pleasure hormonal reaction in the romantic idea, underneath the surface of all of those, is the real idea. It's not, it's not a, uh, a completely wrong and completely off the track. It's hiding under the surface of those, those presences. If you look at the pursuit of pleasure, if you look at the sexuality, if you look at the romantic, you will, you will find underneath this, uh, this eventual idea. When you suggest love, out of the various loves, you're thinking about eros. You're thinking about not familial love, storge and friendship and Christian charity and eros, you got philia, storge, agape and eros. Um, it is beneficial, just as a side recommend, that you have all of those for your eventual wife. She's your Christian sister, she is um, um, family now, she is hopefully your friend, and she is um, your lover. So. All of them should be there in a marriage, but you have those other loves for other people. You have family love for your parents and, and, uh, and for your friends and for your fellow Christians at church. And, um, your wife's the only one who has all four, but um, Eros, as a distinctive, has just it doesn't actually provide you with any more information. It just titles it love, and then we wonder what the love is. Uh, it, it doesn't give us any information. Um, it's only renamed it. Now, 
<clears throat> the mojo idea, the basic idea of the mojo. And look at me, I wrote something on this. <laughs> this is, uh, let's see if I get this. <clears throat> Rapprochement. Again, the French. Rapprochement. Now, rapprochement is, we would, we would bastardize this. It doesn't actually stem the same thing like a reapproach, but that conveys the idea. Rapprochement <laughs> has the idea of uh, restoring together that which, I, in, in its most exquisite sense, that which had been separated. Okay? Restoring back that which has been separated. So if there is a diplomatic rapprochement between Russia and, or between England and the United States after the War of Independence, um, that was, uh, we were going to change, trade ambassadors, we were going to open embassies in each other's country, there was going to be a rapprochement, we could work together, we could become allies, even though we fought a war. There would be a separation and there was a bringing back together. Um, uh, the American Civil War, there was a rapprochement, well actually there was a defeat, but uh, Pulling, pull apart, and put back together again. Now, the reason we, when we look at rapprochement, the whole we have to answer our sexual urge. We have to answer um, these romantic questions. We have to answer why the perversions. How do we? We're, we're trying to say when I'm starting to feel this for a girl, I want to know what it is she's doing to me. What kind of strange magic? is she employing? And how do I manipulate it? How do I use it for leverage? Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the idea of sex, sexual intercourse, is not the end in sight. It's not the end, the end goal. It is the end deed, perhaps, of marital bliss being expressed in that way. But I'm going to suggest to you it's only the symbol of rapprochement. Because whence this idea comes. Out of the book of Genesis, then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and every beast of the field, but for the man there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord, God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is the explanation of the rapprochement, the mojo, whence it came, why it is. God wanted man to have a helper, but he wanted him to be aware of the presence and coming of his helper. So he said, okay, I'm going to let you look at all the animals, and he's going to even go to the trouble of naming them all. But in the process, realized there was not a helper fit for him in that group. So then when he goes to sleep, and God takes a rib out of a man and makes it into a woman, 
he recognizes from the list of animals he has just created, he has now got a list of names for everything out there on the planet, and he's got this. Here at last, having looked at all the animals, at last is the bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Someone who's fit for me. She was, she's going to be called woman she was, because she was taken out of man. Now the next verse is often quoted out of context without that preceding line. Because she was taken out of man, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A lot of people use that verse as if it were talking about what, when you have the right to leave your parents. You leave your parents to get married. Um, because I think in the King James it's for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. And then they read forward in the verse like it's saying, okay, hang on a second. I'm going to give you the reason you leave your father and mother is to cleave to your wife. And actually, though, because of the reason in the preceding verse, you should leave your father and mother. This is the motive force. A woman was taken out of man. She's bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, the division has happened, and you now desire that rapprochement. You now want her back. The restoration. Now, the writer of the, this portion of Genesis, whether it's Moses or, or some other chronicler that, that Moses then compiles, applies it then to the rest of humanity because, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. It did not apply to Adam because he didn't have father or mother. This is the reason of all of us. Okay, it's not the reason of Adam, it's the reason of all of ours, that the absence of woman in us, just for the nature of the creation, has created this, you might call it mystical, you could call it metaphysical, uh, a permanent psychological natural need, not for getting our rocks off, but for getting her back. <clears throat> getting that portion of self that is now separated, getting it returned. Now, uh, it's something, when Christ quotes this in Matthew 19, so there are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. He is saying that this process is the, of, of the joining, putting it back together, which is which is, I'm going, to, well, I'm going to put sexual in quotes, uh, because uh, we're using that advisedly, because the sexual attempt, which is becoming one flesh, is only that. It's an attempt. You know, frankly, I've been married for 33 years, and it hasn't worked yet. We're still, I mean, she went to watch American Idol over at a friend's house. We did not re-blend into one person. Um, the sexuality God has given us on a number of fronts to keep us um, pulling this particular sociological union out from amongst all the rest. Remember how we talked about in our discovery of ourself and we started to cast about for 
uh, information in the natural world and we found people who spoke the same language and respond to us and, and give us this feedback, we created different kinds of societies. Well, this is sort of a core, you might say the core elemental society. People talk about it in, in social classes as be the family being the nuclear unit, you know, that's the basic unit of society. We're establishing that in this first magically driven desire to create society, but at the same time, it's a society that's attempting to create a new self. The sex is trying to create a new self. And the sex feels good as solace. You are trying desperately to put your two bodies back together again. And I hope I don't embarrass anybody here, but that's what happens in sex. You, t you try to join the two bodies together in sometimes ludicrous attempts. I don't know if you've, um, uh, you have know, went when you were young and you heard about kissing and you saw kissing on TV or something and, and you see a movie from the 30s where the kissing was just sort of, mm -hmm. and then you saw kissing from the 70s and it was like eating each other's faces, you know, and you begin to realize, hmm, I've heard of this French kissing business. Um, but that's what happens. What are the dis bizarre, most disgusting... I remember as a kid going, this is disgusting. I never want to swap spit with anybody. Hey, brother. Um, um, the, uh, I wrote something on the board. Another French word. The, the idea in sex is in this pursuit of the pleasure again, that a lot of people get sidetracked by, they think it's the pleasure that's the thing they're trying to get, Well, the pleasure and the sexuality is just the symbol of the attempt to reunite with woman. God thankfully gives us a, a, a completion, orgasmic uh, end of the act, where we're given this great pleasure to punctuate the attempt with us never over the course of a lifetime successfully reblending, But devoting ourselves to attempting it with a wife. You're devoting yourself to attempting it time and time again with a wife and you're given the solace of orgasm at the end of it and it never works but then it does work because children actually are the successful combination of the two people. That's what actually, you know, half the DNA code of one, half of the other puts together a new, um, a new system, they are the blend, the blend of the two people. That's what's the wonderful thing about children there, this reminder that my attempts have not been without, without success. There it is. The new Wilson kid. Yes? I have a question. So that's what it means by becoming one flesh. The, the, um, the idea of the idea of rapprochement, which is the uh, putting together that which was separated, Adam and Eve were separated, and then here at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. She was pulled out of his flesh. He recognized her being of his flesh. He decided to get her back and sexually attempt it. Okay. And sexually, by having kids, they become one. Well, sexually, it's a great. Uh, my, I would say it's not the necessary direction. Procreation isn't the only reason. I desire to be back together with this woman. God has given me two forms of solace. One is the orgasm. The other is the child. 
I have the success in the child, but it really isn't me and my wife joined together again. You know, it's um, a kind of an answer. Like the orgasm is a pleasurable uh, uh, completion that the pleasure of the act um, uh, has its own terminus, it has its own punctuation, and God is so gracious as to give us that pleasure, but he's not going to have us re-blending back into this androgynous, you know, pre-woman um, entity. Though I did write a short story with that. It was a short story where I surmised that the fall didn't happen, and, uh, and after 10,000 years, God took Adam and Eve off uh, and then they had sex successfully. And out of that act came one new God, this new celestial thing called man. But it was a short story, wasn't it? <laughs> now, the, uh, I have here on the side, now, I, the, the, this illustration over on the side on page uh, 18, Adam with gray, Eve, the gray taken out, then Mr. and Mrs. Adam, the recombination. Um, but it has, we have all sorts of forms where we try to suggest the, the functional reality of the reunification. We, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, um, sex together, children, uh, law and contracts, um, uh, societal norms against adultery and fidelity um, out there to protect that. Um, it's a uh, the, all the laws against m about modesty and those sorts of things. Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. And the first thing they knew when they sinned were naked. Yeah, the, the nakedness was once the fall was present, once sin was in the world, the nature of marriage was threatened because now the exposure of your partner's uh, genitals would be too risked out public because of the presence of sin. So they, they knew, even with no other people in the world, that they had to cover up. So there's this, there's this um, uh, in the creation account, there's this um, um, answer to some of our curiosities. Now, I have a section here from Plato out of his symposium. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's uh, it's long and and it's not true. Um, but it's a thing out of classical thought where um, the character um, uh, the character Aristophanes um, is describing how the gods had made love exist in the world. Um, um, that he wanted to put across why in the creation there was this uh, thing called love. And he suggests in the thing that there were three types of people. There was, uh, I'm going to draw up in here. Did you get all that? And there were four legs and four arms and Two faces, uh, two faces, one, two, three, four, four arms, four legs, two faces. And they're uh, dirty bits. There's a man's penis and a man's penis. 
and there were, I won't draw the woman's, and then there was a man's penis. There, they had, you had man, you had woman, and you had man-woman. And the gods were sick and tired of all the trouble they were causing because they were running around creating a ruckus. Well, actually, rolling around. They were circles. What's that? They were like too powerful. Too powerful, and they, they, would, they could roll around. They had four legs with four arms, and they could really cook. And because they were these round bodies, like a, like a tortilla, essentially, <laughs> this, this fat tortilla. And this is what Aristophanes is suggesting. And so the gods go, okay, I, I can fix this. I'm going to split them in half. Like this. And then he had Apollo twist their faces around. So they were like this, facing each other. And then, so each had two legs, two arms, and he said, if they keep causing trouble, I'm going to split them again, they'll just have one leg. But, uh, <laughs> but he left them at this point, and what happens is that they not only couldn't cause as much of a ruckus, they missed their other half. And this explained homos, homos, Nesbos and you. I, I <laughs> the man-woman, when the faces turned around, and he moved the genitals around to the front to occupy them, because he didn't want them. He needed something to to occupy their minds while they were looking for each other, and 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 to satisfy them sexually, so they would go about and do other things rather than just be lonely all the time for their other half. So it gave them an answer. Um, so this is how, in Plato's Symposium, the same idea that there's a division where the bodies are parted and then we seek each other, because, and not because you say, is this a memory of the biblical account? I don't actually think so. It's so whacked. Um, um, but at the, at the last line on page uh, 20, the bottom of that says, so ancient is the desire of one another which is implanted in us, reuniting our original nature, making one of two, and healing the state of man. That is an expression of what we're talking about. Now, how did Socrates come up with this? Or the character Aristophanes, if it really was a dialogue that really occurred. How did... Because once you examine, if you sat back, had this big table, it had index cards, and everything you saw in human sexual relationships, you write it out on a card, you lay it out on the table, and you start sorting, you start saying logically, how is this going to have to be? What explains this degree of things? He tries to explain, since in Greek culture there were lesbians and there were gays and there were heterosexuals, he wanted to explain it all. But in the, in the Christian model, it was just man, a woman made out of his rib, and the same desire and the same sexual pursuit. Um, the problem, it, it, so I think it was just a matter of them thinking as far as they could on the data they were given, the data that was in front of them. What would explain man's pursuit of this other thing? Again, because it is not entirely... It's not romantic. It's not, this is not a stage where romance, if you go back and read the ancient writers, you can read this in Lewis's Allegory of Love. He covers um, the idea of what the ancients thought of romantic love. They generally thought it was a joke. You read Ovid, you know, there is a lot of sex and laughing at people who are in love. 
you know, they'll talk about love in high-flown terms, but it's mostly sarcastic. People did fall in love, but they were idiots. So generally, everything was measured in who you desired to make your wife, you might say, sexually. Um, now what's interesting um, about some of these perversions, their explanation is that there were actually three originals. And that's why, but we, we know actually in the moral condition that people are choosing these things. Circumstances are throwing that. You weren't actually each one of us split. But um, when you have the sexual expression being the natural expression of the reprochement of mojo, a lot of people think it's the sex that's the answer. Remember we talked about when people realize that you have pain and pleasure and because you feel it matters and because it matters you better arrange this and so you prefer the pleasures to the pains and some people think that the pleasure is the answer. And when you think the pleasure is the answer you try to get laid as much as you can, join a frat, live, you know, use date rape drugs and, or become a homosexual. Because, frankly, that's why you do. Because there's far more sex, far more pleasure available in homosexual relationships than there is in heterosexual relationships. Because they think the pleasure is the answer. But their lives are destroyed. They become suicidal. They become, you know, as it says in Romans 1, they, they, they reap on their bodies the due penalty of their error. Um, because they were given up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then it talks about the dishonorable passions. It starts with what you say, okay, let's just take this as a possibility. That's not the, not the Platonic notion, but the Christian notion of rapprochement. Does our desire to get back into women? get women back, whatever state of trying to re-blend explains some of the weirder things that you encounter. Now because the women have left the house and I can speak freely, I will. He said, well you already said penis, so what else? <laughs> My gosh, if this is Christian, now it's on tape. <laughs> on MP3, I mean. Um, later at night in the evening, the commercials come on TV for fake drugs that will make your unit bigger, longer. And all the girls are smiling. He's really big. <laughs> Don't you wish you were big? And why? We're suckers for it. Why are we suckers for it? Because, not because, women go, it doesn't really do anything. Doesn't, doesn't really do anything. Honest, in porn, you might think so, but it doesn't. You get, the women can actually tell you, but you don't believe it. Because you know that if you were bigger, you could get further into her. Now that may seem crass, but that is what, because you're being moved by the mojo, not by the pleasure, you want to get further into her. And some men actually have their unit cut off, falsies put in, become women, because they're so desperate to have this Blending. They think that this pressure of the mojo is really a pressure to make them want not to uh, 
be with woman to try to incorporate her into yourself. But they get all switched around and they actually say, well, I must really want to be woman. Or they become cross-dressers. Or a lot of different things out there. The perversions of the world have to do with how close can I get to woman. And people are getting non, you might say, non-stimulative pleasure. There are guys that play with their feet, not their own feet, with the women's feet, uh, uh, hair, um, all sorts of bizarre things, because they have been, they got fixated on something that they considered to be the point of access or the point of the closest personalness of the woman, and so they get really close to that, and their whole sexuality becomes defined by getting close to that, and sometimes turned around. Sometimes. Um, you'll notice that in homosexual circumstances, they pretend to be heterosexuals. Not pretend to the outside world, but pretend in each other's relationships to be heterosexuals. Some will be the man, some will be the woman. That's why the men in homosexual relationships... You ever wonder why some comedian talked about this, I don't know who it was, uh, um, of these drag queens. Why are they such awful examples of what a woman would be. I mean, they're, dis, they're, they're just awful. You know, they're, they're caricatures of women. They're not... But see, all they're trying to do is prove to themselves they've reached that state of rapprochement, but they need a woman in it. They need a passive, they need a feminine agent. So, when you start to realize that this is... That I'm not just pursuing not merely pleasure, because the pleasure doesn't take me someplace. The pleasure doesn't explain what it is I, I, I need. There are some people who get into relationships where there is no actual sexual pleasure. But they're still pursuing the mojo. Sexual pleasure, sexual act with a woman is what God designed to be your solace for the lack of the ability to create the thing you want to create. The children are soulless. And so when somebody is given up, does not honor God or give him thanks, and says from him, this is what we received from God. I've given you this, this pleasure, with these children, with this desire, with this lifelong attempt called marriage. Um, when I don't thank God for that and honor him for that, and say, yeah, that's the way he made it, so that's the way he wants it, so that's where I'm going to find, remember, the best arrangement. It's only when I say, no, I don't want your arrangement, I'm not going to honor you for it, I'm not going to, I'm going to say you didn't create it. I'm going to be given over to the futility of my own mind, and the only thing I have to motivate me is my loins, my hormones, my pleasure. And so I become an inventory mind, and I go try to find the, the kind of life that will give me the most pleasure. Um, sometimes in Christian circles, because they don't want to say the word penis, or talk about extends, or, um, or say, you know, that's kind of crass, Evan. I want you to know that St. Paul says, don't get married if you don't desire. The reason you get married is the desire. If you've got the desire, you should get married. It's better to marry than to burn, but he recommended you not get married if you, you know, don't have the desire, no need for it. Matter of fact, it's just a greater hassle, greater headache, a lot of anxieties. If it wasn't something like sex, You'd be crazy to pick up an extra, you know, burden. 
I recommend sex, by the way. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you doubt me on this? <laughs> now, if we talked about if women are motivated by different things, what motivates a lesbian relationship? Uh, an entirely different thing. What, we, we'll notice that in a lesbian relationship, there's not the sexual promiscuity as in a gay male relationship. Gay men will have hundreds of partners per year, different men. Um, they will live to have that sexuality because they are men looking for the mojo. Women don't have the mojo. Women are the object of the mojo. Okay? Um, and you'll find that they are probably answering something psychological in them, some security pain, bad relationship with their fathers, um, men that have wronged them, or the lack of men paying attention to them. A lot of women who are you know, uh, less than what the culture says is the attractive woman are left outside the marital mix, and so their only hope of having any kind of close, intimate relationship is if they choose to uh, be lesbian. But again, it's not, a lot of times it's not, um, sexually driven, but still the sexuality is still man-woman because the bull dyke takes on guidance in again a caricature way. More masculine, more balls than the average guy has because she's pretending to be a guy. And so she has that role in the femmes mindset. I am your boyfriend. And a lot of them, because they're so ashamed, I was reading on this in some journal, um, they're so ashamed of their female genitals that the bull dyke will never accept any kind of sexual pleasure herself because it reminds her of her femaleness. You know, they, they want to be a man. And so some of them do become like Chaz Bono or whatever his name is, her name is. Um, they get a fake unit put on and they pretend to be guys. Um, so the, again, the same thing is echoed, but th it will take on the qualities that women bring to it. We're going to cover um, a little bit later today about what drives them. And so the twisting of their circumstance will makes their kind of sin. So this is the twisting of the mojo. This will be the twisting of what uh, women feel is desired in relationships. Um, but again, we'll, we'll cover that in a few minutes. Um, in Christian circles, because they don't want to say, you know, the best thing you can do to maintain God's purposes is be knocking boots early and often. You know, that's, uh, that, that would be God's answer to this creation need. This is a common grace. It's for non-believers and believers alike. Marriage is for non-believers and believers alike. It's for all men, God being good, the rain falling on the just and the unjust. It's a good thing, and this is the path that, that you will find yourself closest to it in. Uh, but Christians always like to spiritualize. They always like to take the Song of Solomon and say it's really about Christ of the Church. Uh, they really would like to, because of the Gnostic influence, because of Augustine, um, in the church, there is always a sense that I'm being dirty even if it's in a marriage. Um, and so they want to talk about this one fleshness as if it were, you know, emotional, spiritual unity. But it's not. In Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Knocking boots with a whore is the same thing. That's the problem with it. Because God gave the oneness of the, the desired oneness of the rapprochement expressed in the physical act, they are so together. It's the, the dance of the desire and the act God gave us for solace that if I took them and gave it to a prostitute, I am doing the one fleshness with her. That is the one fleshness. God has given us this to keep us in bed with each other, essentially, if you want to put quotes around bed. Um, some people use the emotional, spiritual uh, pietism, I can only call it. Not that emotional and spiritual unity doesn't happen. It does. Well, well and good. But when people start talking as if that was the direction of it, no, we're always driven to the day we die, if you, if, you know, in my, if your natural force is not abated, as they said of Abraham, um, you're driven by this desire to be reunited. And sex was given to you as that task. If I say no, my real desire is to be emotionally and spiritually united, it starts to excuse the sexual distance that occurs as your life goes on. And believe me, there's a temptation. Not because that's just what happens. It happens a lot because a lot of people sin in their attitudes. A lot of people start shifting what they think they're supposed to be about. It justifies for people this emotional, spiritual unity. It justifies a lack of or an avoidance of the sexuality. God made the sexuality and the power of its bond and the task of the mojo to keep you out of bed with the whore, to keep you out of bed with the adventurous. It says, it's well for a man not to touch a woman, but because of the temptation and immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband, so you could be spiritually and emotionally united with them. No, actually, I added that last part. It's not to get you spiritually and emotionally united with each other. That's, that's a second-place prize. Maybe even third place. Also ran. What's that phrase you say? Uh, there's first place and losers. You know, Game sex with... Last. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the idea of a, uh, uh, a, a present sexual congress is your answer, not to the gospel. I'm not trying to say that this is central to you marrying. You going to heaven, you could be a eunuch, you could be a monk, you could never marry like Jesus Christ or Paul the Apostle and be just as much in glory as the next person because Jesus died for your sins. This is not the gospel. This is only for people who are planning to get out there with their elbows moving and trying to work their way into the world of women and pick one from the herd and marry her. I want you to be clear thinking and men about it not some sort of emasculated modern evangelical who's going to give you this nonsense about romance, emotional, spiritual unity. Enjoy the romance, enjoy the emotional, spiritual unity, but don't let it move your sight from why you're there. You're there, in bed with that woman, 
not to make kids. Kids are another blessing from the Lord. It's a, but it's not, there are a lot of people who can't have kids. Remember Hannah, who's Samuel's mom? She couldn't have kids. She finally got, finally opened her womb. She was able to have kids. But her husband was concerned. He says, is not my love more than ten sons? You know, what you have with your spouse is more important than what she has with her kids. Ought to be. You've got to keep these... Men are able to think in discrete categories and, and think clearly in discrete categories, even though there are other categories present. I am not bad-mouthing the presence of romance or emotional, spiritual unity, but don't let them become the reason for you being with your wife. You are with your wife because of something much more metaphysical from the creation, and for this reason the man shall leave his father and mother. If I lose sight of that, I lose sight of the sexual honor. The sexual honor, the presence of that act, is the, it's, it's the badge I wear in honor of the mojo. It's the, it's the badge I wear in honor of this creation task that God says, it was good for us not to be alone, I'm making a woman. And I want him to understand what that's all about, and I want him to be fixed on getting her. I have a story here next out of Kings, I mean Samuel. You're probably familiar with it, the story of Absalom and her sister Tamar and another half-brother, Amnon, who fell in love with his sister, beautiful sister. And he loved her. Verse 2, Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. So he ends up pretending to be sick. She comes in, and, and he get, works it so that she'll come and give him dinner, and she sends everybody else out of the room, locks the door, and rapes her. She pleads with him not to. She says, speak to our father. He will give me to you legitimately. But he really only wants her pleasure-wise. He has titled, or he has fallen in love with that eventuality, and he's sick. Literally, he's in love, and he's sick about it. He really is. He's not pretending. He's not just a rapist. He is an in-love rapist. Thinking that the thing he really wants, really, is the pleasure of this woman. He rapes her, and then it says the amazing thing, verse 15, Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. It's a great... Uh, it's, wow, in the Bible. Rape your sister, and then hate her. He chases her out, ends up... Absalom ends up plotting against his brother a couple years, three years later, has him killed. He just bides his time, bides his time, bides his time. Killed him. Um, Absalom knew how to be patient. Um, desolates this woman. Sex wasn't the thing. <clears throat> That's why, though sex is really big, God seems to have put it as this huge desire in us. You remember 14? <laughs> A bus ride would give you an erection. You know, you just couldn't, you couldn't control yourself. It was everywhere, and, and every girl looked good, and Sears catalogs looked great, and and, um, um, and if you ever saw porn, you just go, 
You couldn't control yourself. God made us that. Remember these desires? The desire of the flesh? That was made by God. Uh, our sensation, this is the physical body I exist in, was made by the living God and made to be received with thanksgiving. So somehow, i got to take that huge, huge, powerful thing and give it its honorable place. It is the symbol of why we chase women. And if I ever think it's not this, but it's the pleasure, I end up like Amnon. I, I find myself getting there and there's no answer. I find myself like a jaded homosexual with every pleasure under the sun and suicidal. Because, remember, the big task of man, back lesson one, is peace. And the person who thinks it's just inventory is going to get to the end of being able to move their inventory to the most highly wrought piece of ecstatic joy and the pleasures they get and they are meth addicts selling their bodies on the street because that's what the highest pleasure is. And they'd have no peace. <clears throat> so we were trying to say, okay, this is how the arrangement, I've got to take the, the, the joy of the sexuality and know what that beast is. I've got to know that, that I've got a leash on this thing that I know what it represents. And I know what the... Um, um, I know what the uh, the wrong-headed thought will get me. Now, our basic desire this this idea of the um, oh, this is the fun part. Post it now. I needed to do that all week. <laughs> when we have the, uh, you know, the Adam, um, Adam, Eve <coughs> taken out of, and then the restoration of Mr. and Mrs., that what I'm doing is part and parcel of that whole task of man defining himself. Because I know that myself is the feeling agent, myself is the extension of my will. And I find that I have self and buffer self in all my life. And this closest of all possible social relationships is this attempt to not only have a buffer state, my wife isn't just a buffer state, she is an attempt at broader actual self that I'll never get. It's this, it's this, uh, um, um, a question mark. I know my house is a buffer state. I know that I purchased this house, and in 10 more months it will be paid for. I purchased this house in 1980, and it is designed for the laws of this land and the contracts I hold it under to protect my right inside the boundaries of my corner lot here in Moscow. It's a buffer state. I control it, and it controls the peace that I dwell in, and my body is then more able to find peace inside my essential self. My wife, on the other hand, is not just another piece of furniture. I have nice paintings, I have a good-looking wife. She's not just that. She's not just adding, she washes my underwear and folds it and puts it in the drawer, and that's great too. But, because of the mojo, I'm actually, she's sort of at a line, if I were to say, um, uh, 
draw it differently. If I were to say, um, if this is the wife not being inside, and this is my, my, my buffer state, my house, my wife has this question mark. Is she inside me? Is she self or is she not? I have this, this lifelong attempt to try to draw her in to get the complete real rapprochement, and I can only symbolize it sexually. So it's this closest ring of my societal, outside myself expression, at the same time trying to have her be myself. Um, and consequently, this is going to affect your peace at the most intimate and direct levels. This is why marital things, marital problems, are the most disruptive. I, I can remember, not just before I was married, I had a girlfriend in California, and she ended up getting interested in a friend of mine, which devastated me, not because I really loved her, but because I was proud. But it was the worst time of my life. To get into this portion of a man, OJ Simpson kills somebody because of it. And we're talking about the mojo violated. Um, we're talking about violating a, in a, a man's essential self, sense of self you know, uh, at a place where he doesn't really even know how far it's gone. And when the woman starts to reject him and some other man steps into that world, those are things, those are pressures that all sorts of murderous rages come out for the sake of it. Either to obtain it, like David and Bathsheba, or to uh, take vengeance, like O.J. Simpson and Nicole Brown. We're taking this woman back in this illustration she is taken inside the wall. What we provide is government. We have this essential self and we put up a wall around this woman and that's what she's enjoying. That's what she's a part of it. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, I just quote by Lewis here on page 22 out of the four loves. It is, certain, it is certainly hard to explain. Lovers themselves are trying to express part of it, not much, when they say they would like to eat one another. I could just eat you. That's not to of small babies sometimes too, but... Milton has expressed more when he fancies angelic creatures with bodies made of light who can achieve total interpenetration instead of our mere embraces. And, you know, Milton discusses it like the angels have total mojo because they actually as spirits can just move through each other. And that's what you're hoping for by buying Extends, but you're not going to get there. You're not going to get that far, but we have mere embraces. Silly little you know, bedroom gymnastics with a punctuated moment and keeps you coming back. But it's, uh, and as Charles Williams has said something of it in the words, love you, I am you. Now, as crass as some of this might seem, you're, it's just you're thinking with your loins. I mean, what's the, where is the, because you're, you're, if you've ever been in love with somebody, and this is where the love comes from, gentlemen. This, we love because a certain woman enters the scene of your mojo a certain way. And you'll sometimes fall in love with a bad woman. You'll sometimes fall in love with a good woman. The love does not make it wise. The love does not make it uh, correct. It just happens to you because you walk down the mojo path too far into this uh, woman's clutches, and God help you, she, she might be a good person. Which woman you marry 
is not based on the mojo. That you want women is the mojo. You might look at the other collateral goods like her beauty, her character, her wit, her personality. Um, and you know perfectly well that beauty is insufficient. The proverb of gold, like a gold ring in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman without discretion. We know that women who are gorgeous, you ever see those real wives of LA or Orange County? Any, any, I don't watch them, but I surf through them and they frighten me. And I say to myself, if those were godly women, they'd be stunning. But they aren't. They're vicious bitches. They got a new show out called Good Christian Bitches. That's a good band name. That's actually a TV show name, so you can't use it. Good Christian Bitches is a new TV show with on that kind of desperate housewife structure. Middle-aged cougar women who, who just show they lack discretion in every, in every respect. Um, not the word respect used advisedly. Um, we know that we th we're not encountering when we see like pornography. Pornography is the mojo pretend mojo. Because what do they do in pornography to get your attention? It isn't the demure nude painted by, you know, Rubens, or cellulite in the backside and being hauled onto a horse by somebody. It's not that, it's not that, you see, oh, she doesn't have any clothes on, yeah, but I don't find her attractive. Even the full reclining Venus, you know, well, you know, yeah, good art, Tishan. But you don't uh, get that in porn. Because they're not after, they want to grab you by the mojo horns and hold you. And what do they have to do? They have to be spread eagled. Because your whole point in the mojo is access. That's what the nature of the beast is. When the mojo. I get to do it again. Um. The idea of the mojo in effect, if it is rapprochement, the thing that gets you interested is access. Because you're going someplace, right? You're going further into her life, trying to get more of her into you. Um, and consequently, the, the degree to which she welcomes you, to that degree, you're affected. Girls know this from they learn from their moms or their girlfriends or whatever. They learn how to look at you across the room. And because your eyes catch across the room, I mean, we're not talking about the porn star here, but she, because she's on a piece of paper or a screen, and she, she has to be as demonstrative and obvious about how much access you have to get your attention. We actually can't have a relationship, I don't know if you knew this, with a piece of paper. But in real life, you have two basic kinds of access. One is the, you know, the decent girl at the party. You make eye contact, and she holds your gaze for a little too long. What did she just do? She granted you very minimal, but particular to you, access into her life, door number one. And you, and you walk up and say, hello, my name is and you give a bad line and it all shuts down. <laughs> Suddenly the eyes shut or they glass over. Um, same party. There's a less wise woman who has got less control over her huge tracts of land and decides that she's going to wear a low cut blouse. No. 
and she can always be bending over like this when she's talking to you. Hold on. Now what she does, she doesn't know why it works. She hasn't been to the seminar. She doesn't know that it's rapprochement and we're just looking for access. She just thinks she's selling her bod and in a way she's right, but why we are interested is not because huge tracts of land are in any way naturally erotic. They aren't. There are part, there's a tribes that wander around, but they're out all the time. You ever bother you about National Geographic? You know, you're taking a sneak peek at these New Guinea tribes because these shirts on. My mom's letting me look at this. And it's funny to realize, I'm not excited for some reason. When you're 14, you always were, but you cheated. Now, why are we cheated? They got their, their debts hanging out. Because this would be true in this society too. If the worldly people started taking, the women started taking their shirts off all summer long, and there were nude beaches everywhere, pretty soon, Baptist churches, the pastor's wife would have a shirt on in church. And nobody would care. The swimming suits that the Baptist pastor's wife wears now, she would have been arrested for 100 years ago. Okay? My father was almost arrested in Portugal for not having a top on on his senior cruise at the Naval Academy, which is 1949 or 50. You know, it, well, 60 years ago, he was nearly arrested as a man not having a top on. Things change in that regard. It's not because tits are miracle, you know, fun bags. <laughs> it's because in our culture, they are. And in our culture, that's the point of access. Anything that's covered, you back in the Victorian days, when they would not even speak of a table leg because it was too risque. The women were covered from here to there. If she stepped into a carriage and picked up her dress and some 14-year-old boy saw her ankle, he'd have to be hosed off. <laughs> An ankle, gentlemen. Because it's not the pleasure of the ankle, the pleasure of the tits. It's the pleasure of the access. It's the idea that you're about rapprochement not about the physiology in some sort of magical way is a certain thing. Wherever the society draws the line, um, you will find that that's where the man lines up to see if he's going to, because the women have a certain propriety, and the woman that opens that propriety, even if it's just her eyes, the eyes are the window of the soul, if she, she knows generally you don't make eye contact, I had to tell a couple of girls, don't look at the guy all the time when you're talking to him. They get the wrong idea. Break gaze. Don't always look at him like every time he's, he's going to fall into your eyes. We're too wired to want this reunification to not. And then you'll, you'll get somebody stalking you because of that point of access. Um, so this, this flirting can be modest or immodest. But the idea is both the flirts, the woman with the low-cut bodice and the and the uh, woman with the eyes, they're both flirting. They don't have any idea what they're doing. We just want to go through. They've learned this language. They've learned it from other women. We would be better off if we knew what they were doing. They don't know what they're doing. We usually don't know what they're doing. Now that we do, it would be better off. Now, this whole idea of rapprochement for women, kind of what Wesley was talking about earlier, but not about lesbians, but there are some similarities. The romance thing for women 
is partly a false uh, self-created rapprochement. They create a tension in the relationship they get, then get to put back together. They do get a rapprochement, but it's not from the creation. It's from their own perversity of wanting to, to have a, 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 a threatened circumstance and uh, put together. Um, also, you'll find women have this kind of relationship with babies. Okay? That's why women talk about romance or babies. In fact, <laughs> babies gestate in their bodies for nine months. We just stand around going, oh, look at what I did. And, and, uh, and then they go through huge amounts of pain, deliver this child, eight, ten pounds being pushed out between their legs, and of course, they have a maternal attachment to that which came out of themselves. Moms have something with their children that fathers don't. Now, fathers have a lot of love and concern and care, but moms historically have um, this um, kind of like the mojo, but it's, it's just a maternal uh, mother, mother love uh, is a form or like the mojo. Now, I have this next section on what women want. Um, they did not come out of, they came out of us, we did not come out of them, except out of our moms, okay? Our relationship with women is that maternal love, not a sexual one. They have been taken out of us and has created a sexual yearning of one fleshness. Well, then why do they marry us? Entirely different reason. Um, I've asked, I said this to a couple guys the other night after <coughs> session. I've interviewed married couples. I've asked the wives and husbands questions. Things like, out of a given month, women, how many times would you like to do it? I mean, if you had, I mean, just without being prompted, would you like to do it? Three, maybe two. That's been a pretty consistent answer. Ask the men, 30. Maybe 60. <laughs> I don't know. Give or take. Now, no man can do that. No man will get that. But, you say, they don't. They don't have the mojo. They're really not that interested in knocking boots. Really, on a physiological basis, just raw, left to themselves. And that's with a loving husband. That's with a loving wife. That's in a good relationship. Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband. In a, greatly in, in a relationship where the natural act of the sexual report, the man expressing, hey, mojo time, he wants to express his... God's gift to me, yippee! And she's going, okay. She desires it too for an entirely different reason. And her result is, what if you, every time you had sex, you got to have a root canal afterwards? I mean, that's essentially the level of pain we're dealing with uh, without anesthetics root canal. Because when they had sex, there was a great risk that they have a baby. Nine months later, swollen ankles, urges, you know, gut-wrenching torture. And God put this on them, and yet you will desire your husband, and he shall rule over you. Remember, this is all a part of this idea of self and government, 
And your sexual union with your wife is an expression of your urge and her urge. First Peter 3. So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands. It just came out of a section where it talks about adorning with you know, various other accoutrements of a woman, you know, makeup, hair, clothes. He said, now there's reverent and chaste behavior. So once, holy women used to adorn themselves. Who do you adorn yourself putting makeup on for? Your husband. Nice clothes, your husband. Look hot, your husband. Holy women adorned themselves for their husband and were submissive to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Now, the reason women want us is God made them jeopardized with a self-knowledge that they're in jeopardy. They have terrors in this life. That's what I'm saying just generally. Just like not all men have a Jones on for women, not all women are weak and jeopardized. So, you know, if a woman doesn't need you, doesn't need a man, she also should probably remain single. You don't need a woman? Remain single. Life will be easier. But for those of us who are fit the norm and the stereotype, women have a need for man that is sexual in the exchange of rule and protection. It's not sexual because of the mojo. It's not sexual because the pleasure means that much to her. I've talked to women who said, you know, if my husband dies, I really don't need to get married again. Guys are going, oh, like three weeks, I gotta get married again. You know, I, <laughs> my wife dies. I mean, it's a, we minds got her biding their time. Women will get married again because they want company and want security. Men will get married again because they want to get laid. Now, again, broad generalities. It's not necessarily for everyone, but women wish to be ruled, and the sexuality of the woman, as I mentioned earlier uh, a couple days ago, that sexuality is resting in the rule of her husband, the paper crown that the husband wears, the inequality that Lewis talks about, the obedience is an erotic necessity. For the woman who steps into that world, this general assumption that I am less than and need him and I am more jeopardized, I step behind the wall of his protection. And there's a variety of women's needs and a variety of men that can protect. I have this illustration here, which I'm not going to draw up here, even though I could. Um, it looks better on the page. The outer rings of that image, the rings of Saturn around it, are the walls the man puts up. She has varying heights to these various issues in her life that she needs security and some women don't need their spiritual life protected. They've got a good walk with the Lord. They understand the scriptures. They're, you know, they're great fellowship for you, but you, they don't need you that much regarding that. But they, they are insecure about their provision for their life. And you come along and, you, and you're a hard worker and you, you show what it is to protect her there. And because of that security, that wall around her point of insecurity, she loves. The uh, I wonder how much of this. Some of this I don't need. You can read it at your at your own point. Some of these quotes about the uh, um, 
this jeopardization, if that's a, uh, the right way of pronouncing it, um, when it talks about in Timothy there, when we save the burying children, it's not talking about going to heaven saved, but saved from the deceptions that she is naturally risked of. The previous verse, the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet woman will be saved through the burying <coughs> of children. A man's present in her life, the terrors of her life, if you call your husband Lord, let nothing terrify you, is because you have someone to protect you. Now that's old school. That's the way you know guys like to think of it, and that's the way it actually is. That men protect their wives. Now we can't. We're not perfect at it. We're again just wearing a paper crown. We're not wearing, you know, a real crown. Anything more than the paper crown, you start thinking too well of yourself. Um, uh, you understand that only God can secure her soul eternally. You can't secure her soul. You're there for mundane things. You know. Fixing, moving the dishwasher because you can pick it up. Now, that's the distinction. That's the distinction on regarding love. Women love as a synonym of honor because they're looking up. This is a woman who's not wrong-headed or dealing with kind of mental issues about insecurities. Um, that she has that are really manifest and no matter, you know, I used to teach a Bible study in uh, the Navy. About 50 people came to this Bible study, men and women, sailors and um, other people. And uh, girls were falling in love with me a lot. I was the Bible study leader. I wore tight t-shirts. I was half the man then that I am now. <laughs> I had a motorcycle. A real motorcycle. Japanese thing. Um, <laughs> offense intended. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the reason was, and some of these was one girl she had the, the wide and swimming eye, you know, a little crazed. I thought she was, you know, asking me about baptism after I said, "Now, so you want to talk to me about baptism?" Talk to me afterwards. She comes up to me. She had had a vision that God wanted me to marry her. Okay. Well, she was in love because she was so insecure, running into somebody who was the Bible study leader, who was single, who was, you know, she threw her hat over the moon. I mean, it was, uh, it was crazy train. I mean, it was uh, um, uh, pretty, pretty difficult, pretty weird. And I was not, and still am not, a handsome guy. It, it, it was just had to do with honor. And sometimes you'll get, and, and it'll affect your ego, because some girl you just, just met, she's really obviously India, but you find out really a little later that she's a little few, you know, Fresh few franchise fries short of a crazy old, that's that. Um, <laughs> is that the word? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're crazy. Um, and because, because this is true, and we, we, we understand that as we step into a situation with excellences, we're going to cover that tomorrow, the nature of the practical use of the mojo. We're stepping in with strengths and government where you have arranged your life, you have thought about your life, you've arranged your godliness, you've arranged your circumstances as best you can. You're going to be far and away better than the average guy out there. And girls, good and bad, will react to it. 
Girls, good and bad, will react to it. So don't be thinking that because there's a reaction and it's to a good quality, it's for the right kind of relationship. You could be dealing with somebody who's a, impoverished on all fronts, security-wise, and just desperately wants a man. Um, they're called high maintenance. Um, you have all sorts of different ways. And I list a few of them here, and I'm not going to go into them each because uh, our time is short. Um, you have to consider what league you're in. Because what kind of wall can you put up? How many bricks high can you stack it? You have this three brick high, you know, a couple of cinder blocks. You're looking at the girls, how about this? Stand behind this, I can protect you. You know, she's going to say, I'm going to get killed standing behind that thing. What kind of league are you getting into? Are you saying, well, maybe I shouldn't consider, I might be mature enough in other grounds to get married, I, I, I do have a penis, and I do want girls, so God wants me to get married, but I don't have enough cinder blocks. <laughs> well, take some time to buy some more. Uh, be ready to make the kind of wall that will gratify. And then we start to think about the particular girl. It's not merely, does she flirt with you? Is she pretty? Is she a great character? Because there are all sorts of things about, what about her debts? What kind of church does she go to? Is it weird? Are you going to have a hard time getting her out of it because it's weird? Because she might be very devout. You found out she was devout and a Christian, but she's in a cult. <laughs> okay, that works, you know. But Manson family? No, they don't want to. That's going to be a bad situation. Um, um, big warning here. Sentimental chicks. Ah, stay away from them. <laughs> They're nuts. They're bad seed. Bad juju. Um... But various things. But you start to examine girls on all sorts of grounds when this map is in your mind. When the idea of raising a wall and, and what kind of peace is what kind of government, how easily is that government to be established? In my little world, I'm going to be hoping that this, this confusion about how much into myself she gets is not going to be an area that I don't want her to be part of myself because she's so weird and she's so high maintenance and I... I, I, I can't even convince her um, that Jesus loves her, let alone um, have the same kind of mindset about raising the children. So you want to be looking at all these things coming across your radar as she enters your life. Does she always want to dine out, or can she cook? Some girls who just like to dine out don't understand cooking at all. Um, does she know how to shop? You see, these are all things that are very unromantic, Evan. I'm just talking about what your task is when you get there. They all have the plumbing. Okay? They all are able to have connubial bliss, to speak politely, um, generally. And uh, you've got to decide which one. Your desire for mojo <coughs> qualifies 50% of the population <laughs> for you. And then you say, okay, all the married ones I can't consider, and the ones over 60 I can't consider. <coughs> um, and so I'm narrowing it down here. Narrow it down even further, gentlemen, because this is government of a society, of a society that is you're attempting with every sexual act to make closer to yourself. You don't want to have, remember synchronicity? The idea that when I think, snap my fingers, my fingers snap. Isn't that neat? I just Without even thinking about it now, I can just snap it, and if I'm not white, I can snap it on the two and the four. <laughs> okay, now, 
Wouldn't it be neat if your wife was like those fingers? That the government of your life had that kind of synchronicity? Because if you don't consider these things, you're going to uh, you're going to end up like a palsied, uh, you know, uh, twisted wreck of a cripple. You know, that's you, you, you know you don't want to do that. You don't want to be the kind of person who can't walk in a straight line. That's what you're turning out when you marry the wrong kind of girl. Um, well, that is it for tonight. And tomorrow we will cover the practical things about getting the girl.